0: The Energy Gang is brought to you by CPower Energy Management. CPower provides custom demand side energy management solutions that help keep you green and earn revenue in the process. Power is a leading national provider of demand response curtailment programs. And if you think about it, the greenest energy is probably the energy you don't use. C-Power also offers integrated solutions like storage plus demand response and other tools to help you achieve your green energy goals and monetize your energy assets. C-Power is here to help you. To help you save on energy costs, earn revenue through energy curtailment, enhance your sustainability efforts, and contribute to a balanced, reliable grid. Find out more about C-Power's demand-side energy management solutions – at CPowerEnergyManagement.com. The Trump administration just imposed 30% tariffs on imported solar cells and modules. How much will it set back solar growth in America? And will it spark a broader trade war? That's what everyone is asking. In this special episode, we're giving you the answers, at least as many of them as we have, just a day after the decision. I'm Stephen Lacey, Editor-in-Chief of Green Tech Media, and today we're forming a podcasting supergroup. In the second half of the show, I'll bring my Energy Gang co-hosts Jigger Shah and Catherine Hamilton together with my interchange co-host Shale Khan for a roundtable on what Trump's tariffs mean for solar demand, solar economics, and solar jobs. We'll answer your Twitter questions. First, though, some context and some number crunching. The U.S. International Trade Commission ruled this fall that domestic solar manufacturers had faced serious injury from imported solar cells and modules. And after review of that case, the Trump administration largely followed tariff recommendations of commissioners. On Monday, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative issued 30% tariffs on cells and modules coming from outside America. Those tariffs stepped down 5% each year over the next four years. I asked Corey Honeyman, the associate director of GTM Research's solar practice, what that means for added costs per watt.
1: And so what that equates to is approximately a $0.10 per watt um, tariff in 2018, stepping down to approximately $0.04 a watt in year four.
0: Okay, so slice that up a bit more. How does that break down by segment? How are the impacts felt differently in residential versus utility scale solar on opposite ends of the spectrum?
1: Probably first and foremost, it's worth beginning with the impacts to utility-scale solar, was, which is expected to be the most sensitive segment to the introduction of tariffs. Uh, so the expectation is that of the 7.6 uh, gigawatts of lost uh, demand from our base case forecast over the next five years, around 65% of that lost demand is expected to come from the utility-scale solar segment. And that's because you know with every additional 10-cent Per watt or so increase to system pricing, that equates to around a two and a half to three and a half cent per kilowatt hour addition to competitive PPA pricing for utility scale solar. And so, for that larger scale PV segment, you have you know an overwhelming majority of what's being procured by utilities um, being driven by large scale solar's cost competitiveness with new build natural gas and displacing uh, certain coal fleets that are retiring ahead of schedule. And so with an equivalent tariff that begins at $0.10 a watt and steps down even still to just $0.04 a watt in year four, that's still enough of a difference to put certain emerging markets for utility-scale solar, especially those in the southeast like Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina, um, into a more challenging territory for being cost competitive with new build natural gas. And then when you look on distributed solar, which is expected to be a bit more uh, resilient to the introduction of tariffs, um, especially residential solar compared to commercial solar, you still have a number of emerging markets that are just beginning to hit grid parity, offering year one savings, and some other ones that are just beginning to hit a tipping point of at least 10% year one savings or payback period, say, less than seven years or so. Um, So when you look at certain markets in uh, the southeast for residential solar, like South Carolina and some other emerging markets in the mountain west, uh, like say Utah or Nevada, that's beginning to have a comeback. A lot of those markets are just beginning to eclipse a tipping point in economics of say 10% year one savings at around 2019 or so. And so these are states that are, you know, beginning to scale up over the past couple of years attracting the likes of SolarCity and Vivint and Sunrun and some of those national installers. And the expectation is that it basically pushes back a lot of these emerging markets for distributed solar um, in terms of their economic attractiveness by a year or so as well. So that's kind of the backdrop that we're looking at both for distributed and, and utility scale with these kinds of tariff levels.
0: So these penalties were priced into some module supply agreements. Developers and installers were scooping up a lot of product in anticipation of these tariffs. Does that blunt the impact at all?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, because I think when you look at how the tariffs will impact demand on a year-to-year basis, there is some messiness in particular um, over the rest of this year in 2018. Um, so what, what we've tracked over the past half year or so um, is you know somewhere around 2 gigawatts or so of modules that have been procured in advance uh that can be tariff-free and support deployment in the first half of 2018 still for you know primarily the utility scale solar segment. Uh there's also the role that any tariff-free module suppliers, um, so specifically um both First Solar with its thin film supply, and then to the extent that um any domestic manufacturers both in Cineva and SolarWorld um can play a role in supporting uh supply Uh, in particular for the distributed segment for uh, SolarWorld. So, you know, all of that said, um, you have, you know, two factors to keep in mind that can mute some of the downturn effects in 2018. So one is the extent to which you can see advanced procurement um, that has taken place over the past half year or so. And, you know, any supply that can be ramped up from domestic manufacturers, namely SolarWorld. And then, The second factor to keep in mind is that there has been an increase in module pricing already um, in anticipation of the introduction of tariffs, and also just due to the fact that you had this wave of advanced procurement that did kind of shift the supply-demand balance within the vacuum of the U.S. solar market, despite global module oversupply. Um, And so for this latter point, what we've seen is an increase in module pricing over the past um, six months. That's you know pushed uh, module supply agreements priced to be above forty cents a watt. And so you know in the near term there is you know a possibility that module pricing could still stay you know within the current band that we've seen over the past quarter or so. Um, but there's still a lot of uncertainty over how this can play out because you know as as the market begins to process the impacts of the tariffs. Um, there's still some lingering questions over how uh, tier one suppliers are going to actually price their modules into the U.S. Um, and, you know, in the end, while we have seen some increase in module pricing over the past half year to, you know, in anticipation of the introduction of tariffs, the reality is, is that it's not, you know, a one for one where it's 100 percent accounted for at this point.
0: Where does this decision fit on your best case, worst case scale?
1: This is not by any means a worst case scenario. The caveat to that is when you look at the um, the job impact analyses that were put forth by um, uh, it's all relative. In that if you're um, looking at the effects of say a ten to fifteen percent reduction to demand, um, you know what SIA has been putting out suggests that you're looking at over you know, 20,000 jobs that could be lost. So even with um, a tariff decision that is on the lower end of what was potentially going to be approved, lower than, um, say, what was initially outlined in Suniva's petition back in April, it is, is definitely still a decision that could have been more severe um, based off of what was initially proposed. But still something that has a, you know, substantial impact on the solar industry from a jobs perspective. And then from a demand perspective, an 11% reduction to expected deployment. While that's on the lower end of different percentage impacts that we have projected across higher uh, tariff scenarios of 20 and 30 and 40 cents a watt still equates to 7.6 gigawatts. That is about the amount of solar that was installed back in 2015. So you only have to look back a couple of years ago to find a year in which this lost demand equates to an entire year of potential that was lost.
0: Corey Hunneman is Associate Director of the U.S. Solar Practice at GTM Research. He joined us from the Boston office. Corey, thanks much. I know you'll be crunching a lot of numbers coming up, so we'll check back in with you as this continues to develop and shake out throughout the industry.
1: Great. Thanks, Stephen.
0: The Energy Gang is brought to you by CPower Energy Management. Here's an energy question for you. What happens when you combine DR with DER? Well, you get a way to save on energy costs, keep the grid healthy, and earn revenue at the same time. CPower has partnered with STEM, the national storage experts, to bring you a leading-edge program that integrates demand response with AI-powered energy storage. It lets you curtail your grid energy use with usually little to no disruption day to day, not to mention the savings and earnings that can be realized. You're happy, the grid's happy, and your customers are happy. Storage plus DR is just one of the demand-side energy management solutions that CPOWER provides to customers operating in all of the nation's open energy markets. Find out how you can save, earn, and reach your green energy goals That's cpowerenergymanagement.com. That's cpowerenergymanagement.com. Okay, let's get some additional commentary now on these tariffs. We pulled together the co-hosts of Greentech Media's two podcasts, The Energy Gang and The Interchange, to answer or attempt to answer many of the questions about the penalties on imported solar cells and modules. Catherine Hamilton joins us from Davos, Switzerland, where she's attending the World Economic Forum. Jigger Shah is out there in California on business. And Shail Khan, who's usually in the Bay Area, is in Chicago, also on business. I just had to put out the call, and these three graciously moved their schedules around so we could talk about this and hopefully provide some more context for all of you out there. So thank you to you folks for carving out some time. We also put out the call on Twitter for questions, and we're going to try to answer as many of them as possible in the limited time we have. So let's get to it.
2: Shale, what are your thoughts on where this stacks up on the damage scale? On the damage scale? Well, I think it all depends on your frame of reference. If you had said... You know, a year ago we're going to impose a 30% tariff on all imported solar cells and modules. I think I would have said this is a, a huge deal and is the most, you know, damaging thing that we've seen to the solar market in recent history. But then we've spent the last nine months sort of baking in the expectation that something was probably going to happen and especially over the past couple of months, knowing that the president was probably going to impose something and 30% was sort of the lower bound because that was what the ITC had recommended. So relative to recent expectations, I think this is viewed as a somewhat muted impact. And overall, as uh, I know you talked to Corey already, overall, I think the impact is negative in terms of solar deployments on the US, but it's not going to stop the long pace of progress of the market. Jigar, your
0: initial thoughts, what's the downside here? And is it as big as expected?
3: Yeah, the, the ITC recommended 35%. And the administration came in at 30 I mean I do think that there's a huge shout out to you know several of our friends who have strong relationships in the Trump administration um, who had a lot of private backroom meetings to get them to do this and I think I think this is where the solar industry basically recommended the tariffs be set and you know I think the fact that the Trump administration took that recommendation is a huge. And I think sign that the solar industry actually it can play with the sharks.
0: Catherine, you're over there in Davos at the World Economic Forum. You've been talking to CEOs about the impact, their thoughts on these penalties. What's the what's the scuttlebutt there?
4: Yeah, I've talked to several, and I apologize to any everybody for the noise in the background. There really is no quiet place here to go. but these multinational CEOs are basically saying, look, um, it's, you know, it, there may be a, a small blip, but basically the market will settle out. They didn't seem to have um, huge concerns about it. Now, these are multinational, so that, that's not speaking about the people on the ground, the smaller solar um, installers that are out there who may see you know, more of an impact on the ground. But certainly the, the folks here that are kind of the global solar developers are not as concerned.
0: Okay, so um, what's, what's going to happen in the market? Obviously, in the residential sector, where modules make up a lower percentage of the overall system cost, the impact will be more muted. And in the utility scale sector, where margins are very thin and module prices make up a, a much larger percentage of the overall um, development cost we could see some greater impact.
2: Yeah, so it's definitely still true that the impact is weighted further towards utility scale than towards distributed and residential in particular for the reasons that you mentioned. I think in the short term, it's going to look like the reverse of that because utility scale developers had much more capacity to do early procurement. There had been this run-up in purchasing uh, in advance of potential tariffs and utility scale developers can buy in big volumes. So they had the ability to do that. So there's, there's at least a couple of gigawatts of modern Modules that are going to get installed in 2018 that won't be subject to the tariff because they were imported before the tariffs took place. So it, ultimately in 2018, it's not going to look like that big a deal for the utility scale market and the bigger impact will be felt in 2019 and 2020 once that early procurement sort of shaves off. The residential sector, like you said, it's a smaller impact on the economics of projects, which means that market should be more resilient. I think the big impact there is in the states that were just on the margin of economic competitiveness for residential solar. I'm particularly partial, for example, to Wisconsin because I'm from Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a residential solar market that did not exist basically at all a couple of years ago and really just started to pick up. You saw Sunrun enter Wisconsin, for example, in the last 18 months. That's the kind of state where you could see the market turn back off for a period of time until the economics return. Jigger,
0: how does this align with uh, previous tariffs issued through the Commerce Department? This, These are additive tariffs, so meaning they could be uh, stacked together, and that opens up potential negotiations through uh, the USTR with China to develop um, some kind of compromise here. What's the state of play as it aligns with previous tariffs implemented by the government?
3: Yeah, I think it's a good question. It's important to note that you know we had two rounds of tariffs that were added to solar panels under the Obama administration, and these this tariff is on top of those tariffs. Um, and those previous tariffs, which were led by Solar World, um, you know, raised about $1.5 billion, which is sitting at the Department of Commerce. What's really interesting is that if the Trump administration actually had the capacity to follow through on any of its promises to its voters, they could actually negotiate a deal for that money with China, where you vacate the, the silicon tariffs in China, the module and cell tariffs here. Over time, and then you use that money to help build, um, you know, gigafactories to build Mm -hmm. solar um, manufacturing in the United States, which I think is what we all would love to see happen. But you know, it's all it's all on the backs of solar installers. I mean, just to put this in perspective, global module prices without any tariffs are probably in the 28 cents a watt range, and so the fact that these tariffs will probably cause modules to clear in the United States at 45 cents a watt means that we're paying, you know, something in the order of 17 cents a watt in tariffs.
2: I agree with what Jigger just said, and would just add on to it. The reason I think it's interesting that the, the USTR specifically noted that they're sort of interested in a negotiation where they might settle the existing tariffs um, is two reasons. One, as Jigger mentioned, you know, China retaliated once we imposed those tariffs by imposing their own tariffs on imports of polysilicon, which was basically the one solar product. Uh, that the U.S. still exported. And so it really hurt the companies that were doing that. And it was the one sort of source of solar manufacturing in the U.S. that saw a lot of exports. So you could get rid of those polysilicon import tariffs and the U.S. producers can export again. The second reason I think it's interesting is that one of the things we've missed out on in the U.S. over the past couple of years as we've had these tariffs on China um, is some of the more innovative, newfangled solar technology that's coming out of the big solar manufacturers in China, because they would set up manufacturing facilities in other Asian countries, especially in Southeast Asia, to serve the US in order to avoid the tariff. But those wouldn't necessarily be the newest generation of their highest efficiency product. And so there's some some solar technologies that we're just not seeing in the U.S. that we could see again in that case.
4: Yeah, I agree that I think that the biggest impact and the reason that multinational companies are not as concerned is that they have other markets that they can go to. One word of warning that I would say about any kind of negotiation that we try with other countries is, I'm getting a lot of buzz about this, is you really have to trust all the parties in the negotiation and because of sort of the capriciousness of our administration right now, that is greatly diminished. And I think it will be very difficult to see something where there's a big negotiation and everybody comes to the table. Uh, it would be nice to, to think that could happen, but um, it's it's I believe it's diminished.
0: So let's get into some specific questions from Twitter users. But Catherine, one last question for you since you're there in Davos. What is the buzz about the Trump administration's policies on energy, and more specifically, solar and renewable energy. Um, these tariffs were expected largely, but just general thoughts on what people are talking about related to the Trump administration.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of talk about how we're not upholding uh, that we don't want to uphold our climate agreement. Um, I got pinged by people from Saudi Arabia about that today about us not upholding our commitments, um, while they are. um also, there is a, this some kind of attitude that coal is coming back in the U.S. And I just say, what? I mean, that's just not not going to be a thing. But a, but that narrative has really carried forward. So there's just this thought that there's going to be increased emissions from the U.S. There will be less, reno, you know, fewer renewables and more coal, uh, just based on what the administration is saying.
0: Okay, I'm scrolling through many of the suggested topics here from Energy Twitter. Thanks to all of you for sending in your questions, really good ones, and ones that uh, we have ourselves. I guess the first one that I've seen from a couple people would be, what is this 2.5 gigawatt cell quota all about? So in theory, 2.5 gigawatts of cells will not be subject to the tariff, and I think a lot of people are wondering how that shakes out, where those, um, whether there are any exemptions there, um, whether those cells need to be integrated into U.S.
2: modules. Who wants to take that one first? I could take a stab at it. So basically, what that means is that in any given year, the U.S. will be able to import two, two and a half gigawatts of cells without paying any tariffs. So that goes to benefit a U.S.-based module assembly manufacturer. So if you just do the last step in the value chain, um, then you're not necessarily going to have to pay the tariff You can get if you can get in under that two and a half gigawatts. So what that really means is there are close to two and a half gigawatts of module assembly facilities in the US already, Solar World being among the bigger of them. Solar World does import cells, um, though they manufacture cells as well in smaller quantities, but also like the the Tesla Panasonic facility in upstate New York is importing cells still, and there's a few others. So probably what it means is that those domestic manufacturers will be able to operate it more like full utilization. Um, It probably does not mean that you could set up a new or a bunch of new manufacturing facilities in the U.S. to assemble modules and not have to pay the tariff for it.
3: And what if someone brought cells into Mexico and then shipped them to the U.S. under NAFTA? Would that be exempted?
2: No, because specifically in the ruling, USTR decided not to exempt Mexico and Canada. So anything getting imported from Mexico and Canada, as I understand it, is treated like something getting imported from anywhere else.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And a couple of listeners asked us specifically about that, whether there are any exemptions, what we know about exemptions, which were suggested by um, some Commissioners at the International Trade Commission, but were not ultimately uh, abided by by the Trump administration.
2: So, this is a good time for a caveat, which is we don't yet have the official ruling in the Federal Register. Um, what we do have is a fact sheet that was issued by USTR. In that fact sheet, it has a section on country exclusions, and it specifically states that Mexico and Canada are not excluded. What it doesn't say anything about is Singapore, which is the other country that actually has any meaningful solar manufacturing that was uh, recommended to be excluded in the ITC recommendation. So it is possible, though, I think pretty unlikely that Singapore would be exempted in the final Decision, But as I understand it, you know, the country exclusion section of what the USTR said basically just listed off a bunch of countries that are not excluded. Um, so it seems pretty likely that all imports are going to be traded equally.
0: So a couple questions about jobs impacts. Um, the Solar Energy Industries Association, of course, put out an analysis a while back and an updated analysis after this um, decision, showing that there would be about 23,000 job losses so they looked at estimated solar demand under five different scenarios and they used this economic development impact model developed by Nrel and so their number is 23,000 jobs um, does that does that seem high to any of you or or is that in line with um, you know the reduction in demand that we'll see
3: well it's certainly in line with what GTM and others are predicting right I mean many there's a lot of folks who've said, there might be 8 to 9% reduction in volume in the U.S. because of these tariffs, mainly because of utility-scale projects or others get scaled back or Wisconsin falling out as a market, et cetera. And if the solar industry has 260,000 employees, well, then, you know, 23,000 is sort of 8%. But, you know, to me, I think that ultimately, I don't think there'll be a lot of job losses as much as less job growth. Um you know, the solar industry continues to innovate and I do think that there is an opportunity for states to play a big role in in figuring out how to counterpunch this tariff by you know putting in more mandates for renewable energy and I think you also see a tremendous amount of pushing from corporate buyers of renewables that are saying to Dominion in Virginia or others like hey I don't care that these tariffs are there um, you just have to figure out a way to Install it anyway, and it maybe costs 0.8 cents a kilowatt hour more than you expected.
4: Yeah, Jigger, I completely agree. That analysis kind of assumed a static growth where I think there are going to be some new markets opening up in the Midwest and in the Southeast. And so I think while it might slow down, states will come in with new policies, and I think we'll see maybe not as strong a growth as we've been seeing, but that we won't see, I don't think we're going to see a decline.
2: I don't think they're claiming that there will be 23,000 job losses in the in the form of like layoffs from existing jobs. I think they're saying 23,000 jobs that otherwise would have been created will not be created. And so that does incorporate like growth in new states and growth in the market overall. It's just saying, had there not been these tariffs, there would have been more growth. So this question came specifically from
0: Sam Boykin, who asked, then what can municipalities and states do to protect those solar jobs and grow the industry. Any other thoughts on current policy movement or potential policy movement that could prevent some of this uh, slowdown in jobs growth or potential job losses even?
3: You know, when you just take the we are still in cities, as well as campuses and, and other jurisdictions, you know, they have not even come close to maximizing the amount of rooftop solar and you know, ground-mounted solar that they could accomplish within their territory that they control.
4: So one thing that we hope will come out of the State of the Union is that the president will be announcing an infrastructure package. And as you look at infrastructure and what that means and the need to do public-private partnerships, we're going to need to have state and local governments coming together with the federal government and investors cost-sharing. And I think that will hopefully increase um, the ability for us to look at policies and projects for renewable energy to make up for some of this loss.
0: Okay, this brings us into another big question, which is are manufacturers gonna open up new facilities as a result of the ruling? Um we've heard from a number of companies, as reported on by our senior editor Julia Piper, who's done some phenomenal writing on this, so kudos to her. Um that a bunch of companies, BYD, Trina, and Long Yi, are all exploring opening up new facilities. Um, The question is, are the tariffs steep enough? Is the, you know, two to four year window really enough to encourage a company to open up, um, you know, robust manufacturing facilities? Thoughts on the potential impact now that we have hard numbers?
4: So I think um, from a policy perspective that it's great when companies want to build manufacturing, but then you need state and local governments to be welcoming to come up with incentives to compete for those Um, factories to make sure that they have land or infrastructure to really build manufacturing and that takes a while to do. So I think it would be great if there were a pipeline of of potential plants opening up, but I think state and local governments are going to really need to step up and open their arms to it.
2: So we've been Somewhat skeptical, and I remain somewhat skeptical about a renaissance in domestic manufacturing as a result of these tariffs for a couple of reasons. One is the timeline, which you sort of mentioned, Stephen, which just to run through it, you have now four-year tariffs that are getting imposed. In many of these cases historically, when we've imposed Section 201 safeguard measures like this, the tariffs are ultimately uh, taken away early because of a WTO complaint. So that may or may not happen here, but you've got some risk that the tariffs don't actually last the full four years let alone any longer, the tariffs step down 5% each year. Um, and so if you're setting up a manufacturing facility that you're going to have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on and is going to take you 12 to 18 months to even get up and running, the length of time during which you get a benefit from the fact that you're not paying import tariffs is pretty short for a a facility that's supposed to have a long lifetime. So you really have to believe that your facility is going to be competitive even after the tariffs go away. Otherwise, there's no reason to do it. The second reason, just briefly, is that um, this cell exemption is only two and a half gigawatts. And like I said before, that'll get met or at least close to filled up by existing manufacturers. So if you're setting up a facility in the U.S. and you really want to avoid tariffs, you probably need to do cell manufacturing in the U.S. in addition to module assembly. And cell manufacturing is more expensive and harder to do. Um, so for both of those reasons, I, I believe that these companies are seriously considering it, but I think they're not seriously considering it just because of these tariffs. I think sort of like Catherine said, like they need state and local incentives They need a lot of support uh, in order for it to make sense, not just import tariffs on everybody else. Somehow,
0: I don't think we're going to get a lot of guidance from the White House on local solar policy.
3: Well, I think that this goes back to America lacking the ability to do big things. And I think, you know, like under Ronald Reagan, we actually had Semitech, which was a, you know, government supported organization um, that was separate from the government. but like. It, they organized the semiconductor industry to make sure that those jobs didn't leave the country and go to Taiwan and other places. And in fact, we could do that here, right? With the $1.5 billion we have at the Department of Commerce, plus the additional money coming in from this tariff, there is an ability to subsidize a $1 billion gigafactory off the back of one of these semi, uh, these Polysilicon manufacturing facilities that we already have in the U S but it requires a level of organization that the Obama administration never had. And I can't imagine the Trump administration is added.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of moving pieces to make that a reality, but I suppose that's the best case scenario, right? We set pricing back by a year and a half, roughly. Um, we have some kind of negotiated settlement and you use money set aside to support, Uh, domestic manufacturing so you know the price impact on developers isn't horrible or as bad as expected some of those penalties have already been priced in and you potentially get some kind of build out of domestic manufacturing i don't know how likely that scenario is but that certainly is one upside scenario to all of this what's the
2: downside scenario i mean what's what's the worst case here trade war i think (laughs) right no, like truly, right. I mean, the worst case scenario probably isn't specific to solar. It's that this is like, you know, this combined with, so So, Trump initiated tariffs on and two Section 201 proceedings yesterday. It was both the solar case and industrial washers. Um, and so, you know, we've already seen some like anger from Korea and China, probably some other countries too, but those are the two that I've seen. So I don't know, worst case scenario to me would be that this is like the opening salvo and what becomes a true trade war.
3: Well, you know what would be fascinating? I'd love your perspective from Davos, Catherine, but what would be fascinating is if all the countries ganged up together and decided to put tariffs on um, U.S. exports of LNG. Yeah,
4: one of the things I've been involved in is s p Global has worked, teamed up with Carnegie Mellon on all of these maps of flows for crude and LNG. Uh, and it's pretty interesting because one policy change can completely adjust the entire flow of the map and who gets what and who gets to benefit.
0: I think the final outstanding query that we all have is um, what comes next at the WTO. So certainly there will be challenges to this on the global scale. And, um, you know, I guess we'll await the final language when this is submitted to the Federal Registry in about a week. And then all eyes turn to the WTO, where previous rulings on steel through Section 201 were, um, were, were struck down, basically, by the WTO. They were called illegal under international trade laws. What should we be looking for As this moves on to the global stage?
3: Well, the way the WTO works is that the countries that are affected by these tariffs would appeal to the WTO. The WTO would rule on their appeal. And in the case of steel, they would then say, You have the right to issue retaliatory tariffs. So it's not that they would get rid of this tariff, they don't have the power to do that. But they would allow the countries to put retaliatory tariffs on. In the steel case, they realized that. President Bush was um, sensitive to re election concerns in 2004. And so the European Union put in tariffs on like Florida oranges and things that would greatly impact his re election chances. And then it was amazing how, like, five days later, the Bush administration repealed the steel tariffs. Um, I don't know that the Trump administration is smart enough to figure all this stuff out. Um, So I don't know that the WTO is going to actually have as big of an impact here. I think he would just say, I don't care about those other industries that you thought I cared about, anyway.
2: Yeah, I think that's right, and that's actually the that's the concern about the how this turns into a a trade war, which is um, the WTO historically has always ruled against Section two hundred one tariffs when they've been imposed and then challenged. We've never won one of those challenges. The USTR before we announced these tariffs um, tried to kind of set the stage for a WTO challenge and sort of justify the tariffs, but assuming that the the, there is a complaint for the WTO and that we the US does lose again jigger's right like all it does is allow for retaliation and historically that's been sufficient but that's that's exactly the kind of thing that you could imagine would be different in the Trump administration and then we've that's kind of an unprecedented scenario for the US where the WTO rules against us there's retaliation and we don't do anything about it
0: i would be remiss if i didn't bring this back to the petitioners to seneva and to solar world is this going to make those companies whole? Is this going to bring the operations of
2: those troubled companies back
0: in the U.S.?
2: Uh, I would say yes on SolarWorld and no on Cineva, probably. SolarWorld is an operating company. It does manufacture a lot. It has facilities that it can now scale back up to full operation. As I said before, this cell exemption actually helps SolarWorld. You know, I think they'll probably be operating it. At full capacity. In the long term, does it save them? Probably not. And there's lots of evidence that, in the long term, these Section 201 safeguard measures don't do a whole lot to support domestic industries because once the tariffs go away, you revert back to square one. I think that'll be the case. But for the next few years, I think it does help SolarWorld. Cineva's a little bit further gone, so I have a hard time imagining they come back all of a sudden.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a case study in capitalism. You know, this is why you have destruction of weaker players and you know making room for stronger players and keeping a weak player like Solar World around is not in anyone's best interest.
2: Also, Solar World is for sale and has been sort of publicly up on the this is Solar World US by the way is for sale and the sale process as i understand it was sort of held up by waiting to see what would happen with these tariffs. So i think in all likelihood it just means Solar World is going to fetch a larger price in the market and probably get sold pretty soon
3: why would you buy SolarWorld? I mean, wouldn't it be more cost-effective to just build a new module assembly facility that was fully automated in some other state that gave you incentives?
2: That's an interesting question. I mean, you know, you've know, you got a reasonably well-depreciated asset base that you're not going to have to spend a bunch of capex on in order to, to set up. The question is, I guess, is it more expensive to retrofit? Assuming that you wanted to automate it and you know, put the newest technology in place. You're better off retrofitting or building a new thing. I think you know this. The state incentives part of that is a is probably an important part of the equation. But my guess is that it, while you could be right, Jigger, that it might make more sense. You know, somebody will probably come along to buy Solar World either way. So I think y'all did a pretty
0: good job answering these questions. I feel like we've wrapped our arms around this decision, given the limited information that we have. So I'll ask you what you are all trying to learn answers for in the coming weeks. Um, Catherine, let's go to you first there in Davos. What kind of questions are you going to be asking people as it relates to international trade and this specific solar decision while you're talking to CEOs and you know, major industry thought leaders there in Switzerland?
4: Yeah, part of what I want to understand, and it it always is helpful to me doing US policy to understand what the global policy implications are and what are people doing elsewhere? Where are they moving forward? And does this have any impact on them? It's just really good to get out of your own space and into a place that you talk to people from completely different perspectives to to hear more about how they think about clean energy policy.
0: Well, I hope we'll get a good report back when we catch up with you when you come back stateside. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, trade penalties seems to be, they're very common in uh, the solar industry right now globally. They dictate a lot of uh, national solar policy. And so I'll be keen on, on hearing how people are responding to this latest uh, trade penalty issued by the trump administration jigger what outstanding questions do you want to answer over the coming weeks
3: well for me i really do think there's a tremendous opportunity here on negotiating a deal around vacating the obama era tariffs and putting in place u.s manufacturing like i just don't understand um you know why that would be difficult and i do think that there will be a tremendous amount of pressure on the people that are paying these tariffs, right? There's only like five or six Chinese companies that are putting up most of the money here. Um, I think there'll be a tremendous amount of pressure on them to figure out a, a solution um, to this problem. And there's a lot in it for them, right? Because if we did build a manufacturing facility in the U S it would be those five or six companies that would probably be in the best position to run it.
0: And the, the, the pressure would come from whom, from the solar energy industry from china itself from the chinese government from the chinese government okay
3: right because the 1.5 billion dollars sitting at the department of commerce is chinese money and you can imagine the trump administration spinning it to say i got the chinese to spend money on building a one gigawatt manufacturing facility in the united states and you know and and then the chinese what they would get out of it is one of their companies would actually run the facility
0: well that's actually a really good point if If someone can uh, figure that out and convince the President that uh, it would be a win for him if he can if he can make it about himself, then it seems like something he'd be willing to support for sure. Um, so Shale, what about you? What are some some outstanding questions, things that you're exploring that we don't have full answers to yet?
2: Well, what I need to get smart on. Is more, I guess, immediate and logistical than anything else, which is how will these tariffs be imposed? They're supposed to get imposed at customs according to, as I understand it, the customs value at the time of import. So what is that price? Right. And that dictates how big the tariff will ultimately be. And thus the final price of solar panels in the U.S. So, you know, prices had been in the high thirties in the U.S. in the run up to this decision. They, they jumped up into the mid or high forties. Will they? pop back down into the 30s? Who reports that price? What does that actually mean in terms of, you know, basically, how do you impose a 30% tariff? Um, What is that calculated based on? Uh, So that presumably has been solved in other cases where there are import tariffs, but I don't know how it works logistically. Shail Khan, Jigger Shah, Catherine Hamilton, thank you all so
0: much for taking the time to explore this issue every... (laughs) Every one of you is traveling this week and you all made it happen, so our listeners benefit greatly and we're going to continue exploring this issue over the, the coming weeks as you know, the projections get more refined and we start seeing how the industry reacts and the, the international negotiations unfold, if at it, if it all they do. I'm Stephen Lacey. This has been a collaborative episode between the Interchange and the Energy Gang. Thank you all for tuning in. If you have other questions you want us to answer, contact us at podcasts at greentechmedia.com. Be sure to follow both the Interchange and the Energy Gang anywhere you get podcasts. And follow us on Twitter as well. Take care. We will catch you next week. This has been a production of greentechmedia.com.